everyone. My name is Ray Johnston and welcome to another episode of Take It Black. Today we'll be chatting with Jason Davis from the NT-based startup Hold Access, a digital wallet designed for First Nations people, enabling us to hold an easily access ID and personal documents, including a national cultural heritage identification. And this is all using what he calls the DigiWallet. But first, I'm joined by NITV superstar Shani Wellington to chat about a story she's been covering. Welcome, sis. Thank you. Is that my official title? If not, it should be. It is now, but I mean, you can you can also say what your official title is if you like. Oh, I'm a, I'm a journalist slash presenter, but having been called an NITV superstar just now, I'm very happy to run with that. I'll get the business cards made up <laughs> ASAPO. Demand the change in your contract. Yeah. <laughs> so this story that you've covered for online, it's about stolen generation survivors being called on to join a class action lawsuit against the mm. Commonwealth for race-based policies to forcibly remove children from their homes that were in place from 1910 to the 1970s. What is the aim of this lawsuit? Well, like you've mentioned, it is for victims of the stolen generations and the story that I've done, you know, those stories aren't new. Like you mentioned, it's from the 1910s to the 1970s and it's for the survivors, specifically from the Northern Territory that were victims of the Northern Territory uh, legislation and policies to remove those kids from their families, this lawsuit is, it's kind of, it's a class action representing those survivors uh, because they seem to have fallen through the cracks when it comes to a national redress scheme and other states have their own compensation schemes. It actually comes down to the Northern Territory being one of the only jurisdictions that kind of doesn't come under that umbrella. So this story that I've done uh, last week is about a kind of band of lawyers from Shine Lawyers that are essentially going on a road trip around the Northern Territory to find victims of these policies and survivors of the stolen generation in the Northern Territory and finding them and encouraging them to join their class action. So they haven't been able to get compensation or any justice through a kind of national redress scheme. So they're going through the civil lawsuit avenue to try and get that compensation and restitution. Why did the Northern Territory miss out on the national redress schemes? Well, it was actually a recommendation uh, in the Royal Commission into children and the victims of sexual abuse that there be a national uh, redress scheme and that everyone would would be part of that. But they promised and never delivered, essentially, uh, and it kind of fell to the states to to bring up their own schemes. And, you know, uh, New South Wales... For instance, they have kind of a one-off payment, $75,000 up to uh, for some survivors. Uh, Victoria is actually probably the latest to come up with their own compensation redress scheme. Uh, But having said that, when it comes to the states, the territories, such as the Northern Territory, the ACT, also Jervis Bay, which I won't get into (laughs) how that works because that's just an enigma to me too, but... You know, the territories come under a national that that they come to the Commonwealth. So it's the Commonwealth's responsibility. And even though they kind of promise to come up with a national redress scheme, which is, you know, coming on the 13th anniversary of the apology to the stolen generations, that was something that their own recommendation in the Royal Commission said for. That was something that they alluded to. But 
when we do get into that apology, it was an apology that didn't accept legal liability, I guess. Uh, So under their own laws, it was a legal thing to take these kids from their families. They weren't acting illegally. And so if uh, people who don't come under state compensation schemes are to have that kind of reparations through a system, they have to sue the federal government, essentially. And that's what this class action and that's lawsuit what this is class all action about. Lawsuit is, yeah. And, you know, when you think about suing the federal government and we're talking about children removed from their families during that time, uh, it would be the most horrendous justice process, you know, having to have records from that time. It'd so be to really... people like us, you know, that would just be impossible to have records, to be having to take a stand and relive those traumatic experiences in order to kind of go through this Western system of trying to prove what was hap- what happened and what you deserve um, to receive in turn for that. Uh, it, it would be a horrific process and so that's why and because it happened so long ago and the process is so difficult – we're not seeing it. We're seeing, you know, our our elders and our older people who were the victims pass away before they ever see any kind of justice. Yeah, it'd just be a horrific process to go through. It'd be so re-traumatising. And then, you know, what what kind of support is even in place for these people when they're going through this process? Mm. And I just, yeah, thinking about it is, yeah, it's pretty awful. But how many people have actually registered to be part of this class action? So they've got about a 1,000 people. Wow. Uh, yeah, they've registered their interests, so they've still got a process from here to actually join the class action lawsuit and make sure they are eligible and moving forward getting all those things that we mentioned, you know, their kind of records and that's a whole process in itself. But there's already a 1,000 people that have registered their interest. And Shine Lawyers, who I spoke to uh, for the story, they estimate about 6,000 people are out in communities that have been victims of those um, those laws in the Northern Territory. And it also applies to people that did live in the Northern Territory. As we know, we're talking about the stolen generations here. So people were taken from their families and sent all over the country. And so you might have been a victim of those policies at the time and then you've moved elsewhere, but you're still eligible for these lawsuits. So they are going around the Northern Territory at the moment. They've been in Alice, they've been in Tennant Creek, they've been in Darwin, but they do have more kind of roadshow tours planned for the future. And so they're also, you know, trying to reach out to people who are in all corners of the country as well to see if they are eligible and if they would like to join the class action. This is obviously a really important story to be reporting on, to be able to get the news out there that this class action exists and if anyone wants to be a part of it, you know, this is who you get in touch with. But what kind of considerations do you need to have as a journalist when you're reporting on a story as sensitive as this? Hmm. Well, you know, I think we're just talking about the trauma involved for many of these people that are kind of experiencing this. So there is so many sensitivities and, you know, and being that sensitivities, personal sensitivities, but also cultural sensitivities about where people have been and that kind of intergenerational trauma and where they've ended up. So there are a lot of considerations uh, when it comes to approaching this legal ramifications when you're talking about people being in institutions and how this process kind of works going into it. But 
when you think of it and when you talk to these people and I, I was up in Darwin before I came to NITV working for the ABC and I did a story very similar to this. You know, these stories aren't new and the fight's been ongoing for such a long time. And I think as we see our older people and um, the victims of these policies, every year we get another anniversary of the apology and there's less survivors there to hear it or to mark that occasion. And so I think while you do have these sensitivities and processes to follow when you're reporting on something like this, the importance of telling those stories and ensuring that our mob get justice for everything that happened to them and how they suffered at the hands of our government policies at the time, that they are heard and there is some accountability for that. And that's what we're here for as well, isn't it? That's it, sis. That's what we try and do. That's our jobs. That's it. Well, thanks for joining me, Shani. Really appreciate you taking the time. Cheers. We will see that uh, hopefully that class action lawsuit is uh, will be filed in February. So they... The pretty team, soon. Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty soon. So they're hoping to get it by the end of this month. Having said that, <laughs> what faith do we have in the, the legal system sometimes? So that is the that is the absolute aim for what they're doing. But so they will be hitting the road and trying to find more communities, get it out in the media and see how many people they can get. Hopefully that's 6,000 and, and more to join this action. Yeah, and we will be updating on this story on NITV Online and also on our NITV news programs. Absolutely. Now it's time to chat with Jason Davis, who has created a disruptive digital solution that provides instant access to information without having to house it on an email account or with third parties. Now, if that sounds like a bit of jargon, how about we get Jason to explain it instead? Tell me about DigiWallet. How did the idea for that first come about? DigiWallet, yeah, well, DigiWallet came about from the, the pain that I saw in for Indigenous for, for First Nations people. Um, a, a lot of opportunities were missed, uh, and and it was just over basic access to information. I think still today, I know still today, we are still suffering the same problem, and. Um, that's that's where it all started. Was was understanding the problem as a as a First Nations person myself, um, coming from uh, Mount Isa originally, and and um, I I understood what was happening around me. I saw saw it happening all the time. Um, people who were were not gaining opportunities in life were making informed choices themselves, and. Um, the digital revolution came and, and passed by many, many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and and other cohorts from uh, marginal groups, and and uh, they missed out on on um, accessing the the various platforms and digital technology to to um, build a quality of life. So third parties were doing all of this for them, and. Um, and self-determination was was becoming a myth, and, um, and First Nations people were were uh, self-determination for First Nations people rather was was then losing traction over time, and and now we we hardly hear the word self-determination used anymore. Sorry, it sounds it sounds like a sad story, but <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where it started. <laughs> Bit of a, uh, a power to the people movement. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, it, it's it's something that I think is it, it's a natural progression of innovation, and we've been digitalizing uh, enterprises, and um, we've been digitalizing uh, international companies, international enterprises, and, and systems, but we haven't actually gone back to the consumers in this particular space and, and done a very good job at that. So, for someone so, using DigiWallet, how, how does it actually work? Can you talk me through it a little bit, the process? Yeah, so, so the DigiWallet, uh, spelled D-I-J-I, wallet, it it stands for um, digital wallet, and, and with the DigiWallet encompasses your DigiCard, your DigiApp, and the Digi software, which um, enterprises use um, to connect faster and, and better to, to, to people who, who hold the um, app and the card. The, um, it's, as, it's as simple as that. Um, you hold onto it easier. It's more agile. So, you know, you can, you can access your information anywhere at any time with or without the internet. And that's the card and the, and the app. So it gives you a better, better leverage and, and to have that instant access when you're working um, or when you're on country, um, you know, sharing stories about yourself and, and your capabilities to engage opportunities. What would you say to people that might have, you know, concerns about privacy or security having all this information available in one place? Yeah, yeah, look, I, I say to them, look, be, be empowered and hold on to your and control your own information because that's what we do. We give you the ability to control your information so that when you make a decision, it, you're making that decision for yourself and your families or your community. We are... Um, we, we formulate a, a semi-decentralised platform. So, um, and, and we've actually modelled this off, off the, uh, the letter stick, message stick technology. So the traditional methods of, of our people, which was the message stick, um, we've adapted that to a, a digital version and so that the model works really well to... Um, to, for you to hold your information and to, to access verified information to share with um, companies who, who need that verified information for their compliance, for their procurement requirements of government, or whether it's for um, uh, continuity of culture and accessing your, your, um, your First Nations and your PBC groups or your native title. We, um, we're the first to, to do it like this in this way and we're really innovating a space that for, for First Nations and, and other groups like migrants and, um, and for um, school leavers who don't hold on to their information easy, uh, mummy and daddy does, um, and we're helping them. We're helping them to, to get access to the information faster and easier so they can, make, they can hit the ground running, so to speak, yeah. What are your hopes for the future for this technology? Do you just want to see it rolled out in communities everywhere? Is that the is that the goal? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that that is the long term vision. Um, we're starving for for information, and this isn't just us. We've seen it around the world. Um, people are drip fed information, and uh, we've got these large entities that 
that take our information and use it and sell it and and build their empires off it. This is about about a particular space where you can actually um, you can grow it, but um, in, in in your own particular field, and and that would then be dispersed in every other person in Australia, and and we we have dreams for um, you know overseas as well, overseas markets where third world countries and and, um, and groups in um, emergency disasters also need access to their information. They lose it all. When they lose it, they, they have nothing. Uh, but I just want to say one thing too. It's the NBN um, Digital um, Innovation um, Grant, which, which I was successful in um, applying for and, and that I actually... Um, and I actually... Uh, hold on, sorry, my daughter just walked in the room. <laughs> That's all right. We welcome the kids here. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, the um, the digital innovation grant helped me, and in that, I, I was shocked that um, I actually took out the whole um, national indigenous um, innovation. Well uh, done, as well. Congratulations! So, yeah. How'd you feel taking yeah. that out? You must have been stoked. I was, I was literally. Um, I'm going. I'm getting that way now. I was uh, lost for words. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was lost for words. I just didn't know what to say, and um, I I did not expect it. Uh, being an indigenous company, hundred percent indigenous owned, and with a solution that has so much social impact, uh, it just um, yeah it took me by surprise. But I'm I'm so grateful for to the to the panelists and to the people who saw the value in what I was doing and and the um, the long term vision, which you know saw all people uh, with this greater inclusion and greater um, access to, to inclusion. And what, what kind of difference does a grant of that size make to what you can do? Yeah, so, well, first of all, I, w- I was without a salary for more than two years. Um, so I've had um, bills to pay. <laughs> I've injected my own personal investment into into this product as well. Um, as you do as a startup, all these things are, are common things that, that startups do to, to stay resilient. So it'll be paying paying for those things, but it'll also be the scalability, getting adapting the new features and building a a streamlined product, which is which is already we've already MVP'd it. So we've already had a minimum viable product developed, and we we tested that two years ago. We went back and conducted more than 500 surveys of people. We've done some pilots as well, uh, all up here in the Northern Territory. And we, uh, we've, uh, we've sold, we've actually had um, subscribers as well. And we're at the stage now where this, these funds will, will go towards um, assisting with marketing and, and assisting with scalability and, and tweaking the product as we, as we um, head towards national launches and, and state launches and so forth. Nice. You and I both know that there aren't really many mob working in tech fields. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty isolating place. But what advice would you have to anyone out there that has their own idea for something in the tech world that they want to develop? How how should they get started? What 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 advice would you give them? It's it's a really really good space to be in the tech tech space if you're if you're interested in that space. 
it's there's there's a lot of growth happening everywhere at the moment in the tech in the tech space. I think it's a it's a field of the future. If you're looking for a career in that area, um, my background actually isn't in tech, so it's my background is a I, I'm a, I have a justice background with uh, with criminology, and I have a uh, master's in public health and in uh, administration management. So. I, I come in as a social impact analyst, and, and I, I'm able to bring that into uh, this this position where I'm at, and and I'm able to leverage the social um, uh, or the human factor in uh, technology, where um, a lot of technology is is moving towards AI and towards um, all sorts of other software that that solves singular problems, whereas um, what I'm doing is I'm bringing into the, the this space where, where I'm in, a more of a holistic area where um, we're on an all-in-one platform that covers a whole lot of segments in employment, from recruitment to onboarding to compliancy and um, succession. Indigenous people are, are one of the groups. They're able to build careers and grow businesses where businesses actually are having a lot of so- uh, pain points in their um in their growth, we've actually provided a solution around that that makes them makes businesses a lot more efficient as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Not a problem. Thanks. Thanks for the time for um for reaching out to me. No, I, no, no worries at all. And um and before I let you go, if you want to give a shout out to your mob, you can do that and and tell them to listen in. <laughs> yeah, shout out to all the all the Davis mob and. And to all the Kakaroon mob and Wanyu mob out in um, northwest Queensland, all my peoples. Nice. And uh, yeah, get uh, yeah. Look, look out for me. Look out for Hold Access. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thanks again, and enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Awesome. Thanks, Ray. That was Jason Davis from Hold Access, creator of the Digi Wallet. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Take It Black. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review, a rating, share it, and reach out to us on social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Take It Black. We'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm Ray Johnston, and until next time, don't forget to take it black. Oh,